Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. We're really excited to have you today. We've got a great show that is lined up with a lot of really interesting topics to unpack. My first guest who's here with me, you all can see him. He's one of our newer experts here at Bright Horizons College Coach down in Texas. We've got Michael Yeager. Hey, Michael, how are you doing today? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So we're recording this here at the end of January, but we're... If people are listening to us, it's going to be February 10th. And I was just told that uh, February 7th to 11th is actually um, National School Counseling Week. So an opportunity to thank all of the school counselors who are out there helping to support students, not just with their college applications, but with guidance on any question that they have around life. And your background is really interesting because you come to us having worked not only in an admission office, but also as a high school college counselor. Um, tell us a little bit about just your experience working with, with students and, and where, where you come from in terms of that, that background. Yeah. And I worked as a college counselor. So a little bit different when you, when you toss around words like guidance counselor and college sure. counselor, I was very specific and specialized with the college process. And so mm-hmm. there are certainly counselors out there that are doing everything that I was doing in terms of, you know, getting students ready for the college process, meeting with families, building curriculum for a school, doing test administration, you know, building relationships with college reps, and then also doing, you know, social emotional counseling, you know, working with students through other issues that they were having um, in the classroom or outside the classroom. So, yeah, my experience was very aligned with the college process and helping students find that best fit, find the best institution that that fit their needs and, and really make sure that the process went as smooth as possible for both students and parents. And now you worked at some uh, independent schools that have the ability to have some really great college counseling staff, usually a couple of counselors, two, three, maybe four on a, on a staff to support students. Is there also typically a, a guidance counselor that, that supports students alongside the college counselors for most of those independent schools? Yeah, it can be different school to school. A lot of schools will have a learning specialist um, that may do that may assist in some of the things with test administration or um, just with other issues that come up with students along the way in terms of curriculum, course scheduling. So uh, my experience, I was a I was a solo operation at my first stop. So I was the only college counselor, but I also had support with, you know, course scheduling and with test administration and some other administrative items. Um, so my, my experience at my second stop, we had a bigger staff. And so we took on a lot of those roles within our office. And so that just changed the dynamics a little bit. But, um, but yeah, certainly I had access to, to students on a regular basis and was able to help them uh, to a great deal through the process at working at independent schools. It's, it's pretty interesting. I think sometimes when we are talking with families who are working with 
their counselor through the college application process, they're typically thinking about that counselor only having a role of writing a letter of recommendation, helping to support the college search, uh, maybe reviewing some essays here and there. But in fact, depending on where that counselor is working, they have so many other responsibilities and commitments to the school that they represent. At a public school, it might be more along the guidance lines, some of the things that you're describing as as also responsibilities for independent school counselors, I think are really important for people to keep in mind. And a good reminder that counseling is is a big job, right? There's a lot of responsibility that comes into it, um, in, in addition to supporting families in the college search. Um, now, we wanted to bring you on for today because, you know, I, there are sort of three different sides of the desk, right? We always talk about like one side of the desk and the other side. You've got the college admission counselor who reads the application and you've got the college, high school college counselor who supports the student in developing that application. But there's also the role that we play uh, as independent counselors who support students, um, whether that's through a benefit, whether that's through a private relationship that we have with students. Um, and now you've been on all three sides, right? Because you, you did the admission thing, you did the high school counseling thing. Now you're supporting students independently. How do you think about the differences between those relationships? And have you found that you've had to put on different hats as you've supported students in these different aspects of your career? Yeah. And it's, it's funny how I viewed independent counseling throughout the arc of my career, right? Starting in, in college admissions, I viewed private counselors as an asset, right? So to help us generate applications to, they had, you know, good relationships. They were able to work with students directly one-on-one, you know, yeah. so they were able to have a lot of that personal contact. And so, um, so in that, re- that was my lens from the college side. When I got to the high school side, it was sort of like, who are these people working with my students? You know, uh, what, what are their intentions? Uh, what's their background? What's their pedigree? Uh, how many of them are out there working with my students? And then, you know, as I started to get a little bit more comfortable on the high school side, I started to realize the impact that you could have as an independent counselor and the, and the amount of time that you could spend with individual students and families working through the process independently. And so for me, I think the biggest change was when I started working as a high school counselor, you know, being intimidated or having my ego hurt, you know, when I, when I found out that a family was working with someone else. And it, it took me a couple of years to come to the maturity to realize that, that one, I'm not the gatekeeper of all good ideas and that, that students can receive good counseling, not just from me. Right. Right. And then, and then, um, secondarily, I'm not responsible for how a family decides to spend their resources on their child. And so if they want to hire somebody to help their kids shoot a better jump shot, or if they want to go out and you know work with a math tutor because they feel like their student's not connecting well with a specific teacher or a certain part of the curriculum, then absolutely, you know, they're entitled to do that. And they're entitled to do their due diligence in terms of who they're bringing into work with their student and with their family. I, the tutoring is a great example, right? Because I think a lot of teachers, they, they teach the curriculum and they have to support many students within a classroom. But then there's the opportunity for an individual student to say, I need something a little bit more here, or I'm not quite understanding it the way that my teacher is explaining it, or I don't have time within the context of the flow of a class to ask the questions that I need to ask. And so I think a lot of teachers are comfortable with the idea that their students are going out and getting tutors to support their understanding of content because it brings that student into the classroom better prepared to be able to tackle the assignments that are being presented to them. 
but you're right that with respect to the counseling element, and I, I like the gatekeeper of good ideas thing. Like that's a that's a thing I need to remind myself that like other people can have great ideas around the college counseling piece. It doesn't all have to come from me. But I think that there is some element of you know disagreement, or there can be conflict, especially around things like the college list, around the essays, the content of the essay, or the execution of the essay. Um, as a counselor were you able to identify when students were coming to you with something that had been, you know, uh, that had been shepherded by an outside agent versus things that had come directly from the student? And did that change your engagement with the material? Yeah. I mean, I could tell there were certain, you know, there were resumes that looked the exact same in terms of (laughs) format. And so I, so I, I know who you're working with. Let's, let's negotiate this and see where we can come to an agreement on things. There are certain things from the high school side that are just non-negotiable because as a high school counselor, you know, I was going to be the one responsible for writing a letter and um, you know, I'm going to be the one responsible for making sure that you get signed up for courses. I'm the one that's building relationships with college representatives so I can call and advocate for you on your behalf. And so some of those things, you know, even if if you're thinking about as a parent engaging private services, you have to maintain a relationship and a positive one with your high school counselor. Now, the other things, sure, I think a lot of, you know, style, uh, content of an essay, um, you know, where you're doing college visits, where you're spending your money, uh, where you're where you're putting schools on your list, what makes the most sense for a student. I think there's a lot of room in there for, you know, varying opinions from private yeah. counselors, high school counselors. There's definitely a lot of room to say, yeah, I think this is a great idea from from a counselor that I didn't think of. Or yeah. um, there were there were times certainly where I didn't agree with what was being said, but I always felt like I understood where the independent counselor was coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I agree. I mean, I see, and I, I haven't been on the counseling side of the desk, but there are, there are moments where a student will say, my counselor recommended this, or here's what I've talked about within the high school. And of course, I always have to say to them, look, I'm not going to write your letter of recommendation. So you've got to make sure that that relationship is strong and, and include your counselor to some extent. But what about this question of how do I tell my counselor is is that something where you might worry about offending someone by saying you're seeking outside help how do you broach that conversation do you broach it at all if you're a student or a family that's talking to a school counselor that's supporting your work yeah i think it depends um and i was thinking about this before we went on today i think the the best way that it was approached to me was when a student would come in and say, ah, oh, my parents are making me work with this, this counselor. And I don't, I don't know if their parents like put them up to that or if that became yeah. like the assigned strategy to keep Mr. Yeager happy, but sure. that, that seemed to work out pretty well in, in my eyes. I, I think it depends too on the, the school environment. There may be, if you're at a bigger public school and the counselor has a caseload of 400 students, they're, they're probably not going to notice, even if you try to set up a meeting and tell them that you're working with an independent counselor, right. you know, right. great. I think where you're likely to get more ego is involved is at an independent school where the counselor really is deeply involved in the community and knows the students and um, is going to find out probably one way or another, given how small those circles are, that you are working mm-hmm. with an independent counselor. Um, the, the counselor may ask you, I, I put on my junior surveys, are you working with an independent counselor? Who is it? Because I wanted to engage with those counselors and let them know when my deadlines were and when, you know, when I expected things uh, from them so that, so that they could work a little bit more closely in partnership with my students and me to make sure that we were on the same page and getting things regular, you know, ready for, 
regular decision deadlines, early deadlines, whatever was coming our way. I wanted to make sure that everyone had the exact same information that was going to be put out there. Um, I I think as with any profession too, there, there are good actors and bad actors. I mean, there are people who are really good at counseling who support the student, put the students first. I think that we at college coach are really, really good at that. And there are people that are um, really forcing students into boxes that they don't necessarily fit because they perceive the process to unfold in a particular kind of way. And I think it is helpful as a high school counselor to know who are you working with or what kind of advice are you getting just to make sure that there's a check on that in case you're getting really bad advice. Um, and, you know, we, we also see with our finance team, sometimes what people will hire outside financial aid uh, consultants who are giving really bad advice around dollars that that can be problematic. So, you know, I, I think it's helpful to loop everybody in so that there is a check against that, that different kind of advice and the perception that's coming along there. When you, when you did learn that a student was working with someone independently, did that change your approach to that student? Did you have a different way of engaging with them? Did you ignore them completely because you were really bitter that they chose to, to hire someone instead of you? Like how, what was your attitude towards, towards a student that was working with someone? No, I mean, I, I think as I got into year two and three of counseling and understood that this was a part of the process, I just wanted to make sure that students were, you know, that I put up guardrails to make sure that they understood what independent counseling can and and should be doing. And so making yeah. sure that my students understood, hey, you shouldn't be giving your common application password out to independent counselors. You shouldn't no. be having them submit documents on your behalf. There are certain things that are, you know, are red lines for me as a high school counselor that I wanted to make sure that I was educating my students about. Um, and so those, those were the biggest concerns that I had on the front end. Aside from that, I, I, I did keep eyes out and monitor. And I tried to meet with independent counselors and uh, at different events just to get a general sense of their philosophy. Um, But aside from that, I didn't get in the business of endorsing anyone or really putting anyone down because I never felt like there was someone out there that was a bad actor in my communities that that I really needed to keep an eye on. Um, I felt like you know, a lot of people enter this profession, not as a a means to create immense wealth, but to have an impact in a student's life. And that's what I was seeing in the, in the independent counseling communities that I was a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that on our side, you know, when we work independently with students, we are really deferential to the expectations of a school counseling office. You mentioned deadlines. Um, you know, we will say, talk to your counselors, know when the deadlines are for you to finish your application, know who you're going to ask for letters of recommendation and maintain those good relationships. Loop your counselor in on this process, show them your essay. Even if we've spent a lot of time working on it, we want to make sure that that counselor uh, likes that essay and, and, and give them an opportunity to give their feedback as well, because they're professionals in this space too. So, I think it can sometimes be tough to manage a collaborative relationship where two of those parties are not really talking to each other, right? You've got the student as the intermediary, but that can sometimes be good practice for, you know, other relationships that you might develop in life. Um, are there any other pieces of advice that you would encourage students to keep in mind uh, if they if they occupy this space or if they're, they're working with a couple of different people? Um, I think really, you know, at the core, just listening to the advice that you're getting and and really trying to come back to that what which college is going to be the best fit for me um, and that's general counseling advice but I do think yeah. that's a good starting point for a lot of families is to 
is to center the process on, you know, I'm an individual, I'm going to make an individual decision. Uh, I do have some priorities, whether it's, you know, academic reputation, location, other items, but really driving back, if the counselors are both talking about fit, then you're going to be in a good position to make the right choice at the end of the process. Right. It's, it's always awesome when you see that the language that your counselors are using aligns, right? And even if their advice is a little bit different, if it's all coming from that same value set in terms of supporting you, I think that means you're in a really good place. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Michael, it's really awesome to have you on the show, but even better to have you on the team. We've got some other people who are former college counselors at high schools. It's great to have you added on to that group. And uh, your perspective, having worked in those offices, is really tremendous for us. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for joining College Coach. Um, I think that's it. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Uh, When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about college financial aid, because apparently February is Financial Aid Awareness Month. Uh, So the first in our three-part series coming up next. Don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show for today. I'm really excited because um, when we produce this show, we've got a lot of different topics that we kick around and we've got a great team of financial uh, college finance experts. And they come up with these awesome financial aid segments every single week that we get to bring to you. And they've thought about it a little bit big picture over the next three shows, which is that we're going to be talking a little bit about financial aid in three segments. 
And that's because, Michelle Richardson, you're here today and, and you're one of our favorite guests on the finance side uh, for the radio show. So Thank I'm glad you. to have you. You should say hello, though, because this is an audio medium. I always assume like it's video. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much. And it's great to be here. Happy to be on the show. I'm glad to have you. So you were just saying and and reminding me that, of course, this is the time when seniors are starting to think about paying for college, because as the decisions are coming back, they're also getting financial aid offers from the schools they've been admitted to. It's also the time when juniors are starting to make decisions about what their college list is going to look like. And the financial implications of choosing different sets of colleges are really important. And so you and your team have put together a three-part segment on financial aid starting this week, where we're just going to define different aspects of aid and make sure that people have a sense of what's out there. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about how financial aid is determined and some of that calculation, what goes into the award letters and notifications. And then we will talk about how financial aid offices provide assistance for students as that first line of support once they become students on a particular college campus. Uh, is that about right? Do we, that's, that's what we're doing. Absolutely perfect. It's such a broad perfect. topic. We can't cover it all in, in one segment. So we really tried to break it down into timely sections. And it's, I think it's also one of the real difficulties of this kind of conversation is that everybody's circumstances are really different and specific. And so when you're speaking to an audience like ours, we love our listeners here, but they're all different in terms of what their needs and expectations are. So we're going to try and hit them all with some great content just to start. Let's go with the basics. What is financial aid? Michelle, you're on the clock. All right. Thanks so much, Ian. Uh, You know, in a nutshell, financial aid is both, it's really all things paying for college, all items used to pay for college. Some of them are considered need-based, which means that, you know, families have to go through the financial aid application process and and, uh, their financial need is determined. However, there are also, I think it's very important for families who may not qualify for need-based financial aid to understand that the term of financial aid really encompasses all things paying for college. Mm -hmm. That's great. Because I think people do often think, well, we're not going to qualify for financial aid. And I think that that talks to one narrow kind of aid. But there are a lot of different other ways of getting support, financial support in college. And your team is focused on understanding all of the different components of financial aid. Now, right. why do families need to know this? I mean, why is it so important to remind families that it's not just about your, your finances and that formula? Sure. Well, I think one of the most important things that we all recognize is, is college is a major investment and an expense. And so as families, regardless of whether, you know, they're younger in the, in the high school or, or now they're, they're seniors and, and they're getting those financial aid notifications back and realizing we've got a big chunk to cover here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and again, I think it's very important for families to know, you know, if we want to look at statistics, for example, basically... of full-time undergraduate students 
receive some sort of financial aid. And that is based on all the data that the schools provide to the Department of Education. And that was from three years ago, because that's as recent as we get that type of data. So it may even be higher than that now. Um, And I also think it's important for college-bound students and families to better understand financial aid so they understand what it encompasses, and to your point earlier, to set realistic expectations, you know, um, because financial aid is so broad and covers so many aspects, you know, we do have those families that are like, you know, I'm not going to qualify for financial aid. But again, remember that there are financial aid components that aren't based on financials, even though it's really considered, you know, financial aid. That's right. Yeah. And and I think getting to the, some of those definitions is really helpful because people think about financial aid as a discount on their tuition or just a check that they get in the mail. But I think that there are different types of financial aid that are out there. Do you want to help explain some of those different types of aid that people can receive? Sure. So I'll cover grants and scholarships. That's like the, the number one go-to. Everybody sure. loves grants and scholarships, right? Because yeah. it's free money. And to your point, it is a way that schools will often reduce their directly billed costs like tuition. Mm -hmm. So schools, you know, oftentimes will offer a grant or a scholarship or both in order to um, reduce that, that cost. Um, A lot of, you know, in deciphering the two, we get a lot of questions on, you know, what's the difference between a grant and a scholarship. Um, you know, really grants typically have a financial need component attached to them. So mm. okay. financial aid grants or need-based grants are usually determined by the schools and based on their methodologies. Yeah. And uh, families have to provide financial information to determine grants. Um, scholarships are, for the most part, There are some scholarships that are based on need, but typically like the merit scholarships that schools offer are typically not based on a family's ability or inability to pay. Right. Um, You know, financial aid also encompasses, and and it may sound, and I think this is why it's confusing for families, it also encompasses financing like loans. Right. You know, people don't consider as consumers, I don't consider if I go to my bank and get a a car loan that that's really financial aid. However, you know, I I think it is important for families to know that if they want their student to have access to like a federal student loan, you have to go through the financial aid application process and schools consider all things, you know, financing related, student loans, parent loans, private loans, part of their financial aid, you know, package. Uh, Also, finally, you know, another component of financial aid is we hear the term federal work study. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a question on the FAFSA that will ask if students want to, uh, you know, be considered for work study. And so it's like, well, what is work study? Federal work study is a a way um, and is need-based financial aid by definition because the federal government provides funding to the schools in order to employ students that have financial need on their campus. So that's considered, you know, federal work study. 
which is different than, you know, standard student employment on campus, which is not part of financial aid. Yeah, there's so many different moving parts here. And you can see, I mean, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about all of the rules and regulations that went into place to think about this and what colleges want, what families want, what the government might want to provide, what the expense is in terms of taxpayers. There's a lot of different moving parts here. I think one thing that I think that would be really important to just acknowledge is if you're admitted to a college, you're, you, you're a great student, right? And so like some students would say, well, I didn't get a merit scholarship. That other student has a need-based scholarship. But I wouldn't say that's a difference in terms of deserving of financial aid. They're just different forms of aid depending on where you're coming from and what your circumstances are. Um, and institutions make choices, right, about how they want to incentivize students to attend and how they want to support different groups of students in choosing them. Uh, but everybody who's admitted to a college is somebody that a, that college really wants to have on campus. So it's always, I, we got to pause and acknowledge that um, just in case families Absolutely. are curious. Um, so, all right, you talked about grants and scholarships a little bit. Um, I, the work study question, I think is kind of interesting because I remember having friends on campus who worked jobs. I, I worked a job on campus, even though I wasn't a, a part of a, um, a federal work study program. I was an intern in the college admission office and was a tour guide there. But I had friends who worked in the sports center or who drove the night bus or who were li- worked in the library. What is the difference between that student employment versus a, a work study program from a student's perspective? Sure. So, Work study, and oftentimes it's called federal work study. And again, schools are provided a pool of funds from the federal government um, in order to help employ students who have financial need on that campus to get jobs. So um, work study, if you will see federal work study on your financial aid award notification. That means that you qualified from a need-based perspective based on the government's definition and application that you would qualify to apply for and and get a part-time job on on campus. And that program is considered need-based because part of it is federally funded. Whereas student employment or sometimes schools will refer to it as just work study, not federal work study, but then that would all be funded by the institution and students typically don't need to show financial aid eligibility or complete the federal financial aid application in order to be considered for standard student employment. So the money comes from different sources, right? So like when I worked in the admission office, there was an admission office budget item for student workers, and that's how I was paid. Mm -hmm. But sometimes federal work study is going to come from the federal government. That's a different source that goes to students. What about the way that the money ultimately hits the student? I got a paycheck, um, but for students that are on federal work study, does that money come straight to them or does it go to the institution to support the cost of their tuition? Yep, great question. It is just typically on most campuses, it's just like student employment and you get a, okay. a paycheck. So when I went to college, you know, many, many years ago, 
I qualified for federal work study. And so I had a, a job on, on campus and I was paid through payroll, just like my roommate who had a part-time job on campus, but hers wasn't federal work study. So um, she, you know, didn't have to fill out the application, the federal financial aid application and basically qualify for that access to that position by demonstrating financial need. But when it came time for you all to go out to dinner on the weekends, you were splitting the check with money that you both got in your pockets at the end of the day, even though they came from different sources. Correct. Correct. And yeah, and I I think that that kind of oftentimes will get asked, you know, where does work or where does financial aid come from? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, what resources fund financial aid? Um, I think a big misconception out there is that the federal government pumps all this money into financial aid. Um, I think a, a good, and this is kind of where the expectations come, the federal government does have a couple grant programs, but predominantly their biggest way of providing financial aid is through student loans right. or parent loans. Right. Uh, the biggest resource for financial aid really comes from the colleges and universities themselves, which is, you know, what we talk about all the time when trying to maximize merit scholarships or look at schools that maybe offer more need base for those families that do have financial aid eligibility. That That's actually a great place to leave it and a really nice teaser for next week because for next week's session, we're talking about how that financial aid is determined by schools, how they're going to make choices about who gets what kind of funding. So that's an awesome segue. Of course it is because you came up with this idea for this three-week segment on, on, on financial aid. Are there any other things that you wanted to make sure that just as like an initial primer that people have for today going into the, the show that they might hear next week? So I think the one thing, especially for seniors, if you haven't applied for financial aid or, you know, thought maybe you wouldn't qualify, um, you know, talk with the financial aid office and, and see so you better understand what their regular, you know, what their rules are. And, um, and also, I, again, I think the one thing to recognize when we talk about financial aid, it's not just need-based. It also encompasses scholarships, um, you know, whether they come from the schools or even outside entities. And, yeah. and also financing, which, you know, like I said earlier, many of us would not consider a student loan um, or a parent loan, you know, financial aid, but in essence, it really is. Well, really similar to buying a house, man. I can't buy a house with cash. I need help in order to do that. It happens to be that I'm doing that through a loan from a bank and a mortgage. That is aid, even though I hate making those payments every Every Don't month, <laughs> it is it is aid, right? So, um, so it's an important thing, I, th- I think, to acknowledge how that can help to support achieving this goal of wanting to get that higher education, uh, if that's something that your family is interested in. Absolutely. Sweet. Thanks, Michelle. This was great. Fe- February is Financial Aid Awareness Month. We know that because February starts with F and so does financial aid, right? So just everybody can remember that and have conversations with your friends and family 
refer them to this podcast so you can hear all about it from experts like Michelle. Thanks for coming on the show, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about comic books. That's right. Comic books. Uh, You won't want to miss it. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back uh, to the show today. Um, we have kind of an unusual segment. Um, and I, I teased in before the last break that we were going to talk about comic books, and that is kind of true, um, but not entirely because we're going to talk about a particular story of our guest today. And today's guest is a friend of one of our college coach educators, which is probably not the most important thing uh, on his resume. But for our purposes, uh, we care about it because it's what brought him here. Uh, we've got Blake Kabashigawa, who is the senior vice president at IDW Publishing. And IDW Publishing primarily creates comics, right? Blake, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you all do at, at IDW? Sure. Yeah. Um, and really nice to be here. Nice to meet you. Yeah, as well. glad uh, to have you. Yeah, uh, IDW Publishing is, um, we're about, we're, we're the fourth or fifth largest publisher, uh, comics publisher in the US and North America, really. Um, mm-hmm. We publish a, a ton of different types of product, um, whether it be comics, single issue comics, graphic novels, amongst a lot of different genres. So um, some of our bigger books include licensed properties like Ninja Turtles, Sonic the Hedgehog, Transformers, G.I. Joe, um, My Little Pony you name it, we kind of cover a pretty wide swath of product on the license side. Um, That means publishing 
product that other people own, like other brands and stuff yeah. like that. We also yeah. have, um, we also do original graphic novels based on um, uh, people like Congressman John Lewis. There's a book called March that won the National Book Award a few years ago. We published, uh, a, published a, a series of graphic novels from him. A book called They Call This Enemy by George Takei of uh, Star Trek fame about his time yeah. um, in the internment camps when he was a young boy, uh, which is won a bunch of awards. It was our best-selling book last year. And then yeah. we also do a bunch of original um, original IP, things like Lock and Key, which is now a series on Netflix um, written by uh, an author named Joe Hill um, and a bunch of other uh, licensed properties that have gone, or I'm sorry, original properties that have gone on to to media and other things like that. So a lot of different um, products, graphic novels, we publish, um, we publish around 500, 600 products a year, uh, which include like weekly or monthly um, periodical comic series. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it is a very alive and kicking business. A lot of people ask me, you know, Oh, do comics still come out every month? Like, yes. Absolutely. Still come out every month. Absolutely. A lot of them in print. Uh, print is the majority of our business. So yeah, it's it's very much alive and kicking. That's great. I mean, it, it almost sounds like there with comics, there's almost this uh, retro appeal in the way that there is with vinyl uh, records, for Absolutely. example, that people are are really into reading it in that in that original kind of medium. There's something special about having those pages uh, yep. in your hands. Um, so as the senior vice president, well, how much? What's your daily? interaction with that kind of content or what is what is your role kind of look like there yeah um so in my role i'm overseeing sales marketing talent relations um content strategy and our direct consumer operations so our e-commerce web store and our mobile apps um so i I have quite a bit of oversight um you know, you can tell by that my day-to-day really changes. Um, Some days it's about, hey, how do we maximize the sales of this comic that's coming out? Another day it's, um, we have this PR piece uh, on one of our authors, you know, where can can you take a look at it and make sure the messaging's right? Like uh, other days it's talking to a creator and making sure they feel comfortable at the company. Other days it's talking about exclusives we have on our web store. So it really, really changes day-to-day, which is fun, which is super fun. But at the same time, it's, I just kind of have to have my eye on a lot of different balls yeah. that are in the air. Yeah. Keep you on your toes a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> when you, yeah, when you funny. describe those different responsibilities mm-hmm. as someone who works in, in college admission or people who might be listening to this, you think, okay, well, Blake probably got a degree in business or marketing, maybe communications could have been digital media, right? Because mm-hmm. comics are digital, you know, bigger, some digital media, maybe art, um, but, but my guess would be probably something in business in order to be the senior vice president of a big publishing company. That's probably what, what he did. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that a good guess? What you studied when you were in college? That is a good guess. Um, <laughs> but it would be, it's, it's wrong, not, right? No, it's wrong. Yeah. It's not the right answer. Um, I was actually, uh, I was a music major in college. Um, so okay. could not, so for those who had music, uh, yes. you come and collect your winnings. Uh, if that was your <laughs> guess, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, I, um, I, I get this question a lot from from people. Um, just you know, especially internally at the company, like, oh, where'd you, where'd you go to school? What'd you major in? Yeah. Um, and and most of them are stunned to hear that it's that it's not economics or say you know, yeah. I, I didn't go to a business school. I, I you know, I didn't do any of that. Um, I only have my I have my undergraduate degree in music, and yeah, I've, I've this is my job. 
I like to tell, you know, high school students, I think that are interested in certain fields that it can be really helpful to do an informational interview with somebody who already occupies that space and just hear a little bit about what their path towards that look like. And usually when students do that, they're really surprised because it's not as though students say, all right, this is what I want to do professionally. I want to be a publisher for comics and I'm going to go get this particular major in order to make that happen. Now, there are some exceptions for that in certain kinds of fields, but I think the majority of jobs that are out there, it's very hard to find the specific academic program that's going to lead you directly into that job. Never mind the fact that it's hard to know when you're 18 years old, what job you want to have 15 years later. Um, What do you think are the critical moments in your path to where you are? that helped to get you in this position? Are they connected more to your undergraduate studies or are they a consequence of experiences you had afterward? Uh, I mean, a little, a little bit of both, I would say, but mostly, I would say mostly the experiences I had afterwards. Um, You know, it's uh, the things that are applicable to my life about my college education and experience are about being there um, and about, the grind of having to learn and giving uh, the grind of having give, having to learn without such a rigid structure, um, yeah. really being on my own and not having to really be anywhere except for when I chose to be somewhere, managing yeah. that time, managing my studies, really <clears throat> digging deep into something that I really cared about, which was music, which is still music. That experience is really applicable to my work and to my job. Um, I, I took a lot of really important lessons about diligence and hard work, <laughs> things like that from from my major because I had to do all of those things with something I was super passionate about. But at the same time, um, you know, I don't I don't talk about Phrygian scales in my work. I mean, I don't think I've said the word Phrygian scales in fifteen years. Um, well, glad I don't, we can have you to do that. Yeah, yeah thank you. No, <laughs> I mean, if, if nothing else, that's what came up today. Great opportunity. Um, but yeah, I, 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 most of what has formed where I am now is, is through my experience. And, and, you know, like I wouldn't say that for every major, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you should probably go into the sciences, you know, the things, if you want to be a city planner, you should probably be an engineering major. Like, but for where I am in my business, you know, it's just, um, I, I work with a ton of people. My VP of sales was a English major, I think, um, our marketing major was, I think she was like a fine arts major or something like that. I mean, it, 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 it's more, I mean, to me, especially in this field, it's more about your experience and being in the business and learning the business and caring about the business, caring about what you do and caring about the process um, of how you get there. Um, I'm not saying that you can't co- get to where I am without, you know, if you have a sales degree or if you have a business degree yeah absolutely but at the same time it's it's really been about kind of not to not to be kind of cheesy or anything but it's uh it's been really about the journey about getting here um that's that's i mean process is one of the biggest things we just had a show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about students that were most successful in the college application process and it was the Mm -hmm. ones who were focused more on the journey who were really committed to that aspect of process who really felt like it's not about where I'm going to get in at the end of this, but I made my confidence in what I'm submitting, what I'm putting together as, mm-hmm. as you know, the measure of my success in this space. Um, and, you know, I, so I went to a small liberal arts college. I studied philosophy. That doesn't really put you in a position where you're on track for any kind of professional outcome. So I, I totally, everything that you're saying really 
resonates with me. I want to try and get you back into, let's say, your senior year or maybe even just after your senior year of college and your sense of what was next. Like, can you remember what you perceived your ability to be professionally or what your thoughts were about your coming career? Because I think one big concern that a lot of people have is if I study music, I'm going to get to the end of my four years and not know what's next. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? at the end of that undergrad experience? Um, it was nerve wracking yeah. for sure. Um, I remember, I remember not really knowing what I wanted to do. I had a bunch of different passions, but ultimately, you know, I didn't know how employable I was. Um, certainly. I mean, I graduated, keep in mind, I graduated in 2007, um, which was right before Me too. the, yeah, yeah the, I mean, yeah. That, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a great time for jobs, generally speaking. Oh. Um, so, so I did have a, a, a great, bit of nervousness there. But overall, you know, I, I found that as I started interviewing for things and going through the interview track, nobody cared. I mean, they they just, oh, great. Graduated from school. Sounds awesome. Yeah. You know, the type of jobs I was applying for, I wasn't, I'm not, a, I wasn't in a trade. So it wasn't like they were looking to see if I did a certain, you know, studied a certain thing where I'd have some baseline knowledge. Um, I wasn't applying to be a lab tech or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I just had a huge amount of trepidation just like going out day to day thinking if I was good enough. But I really quickly found that it didn't really matter, um, especially, you know, I, I decided to go into the music industry right after I was in college. And um, most of the people I worked with didn't go to college um, or didn't mm -hmm. and didn't care that I went to college and certainly didn't care that I went to a good college. Um, yeah. So I, I felt even even less. I, I felt even more at ease very quickly um, because I just realized that it's not that it didn't matter, um, but, but I cared about it. I cared about it far more than anybody else did. Um, and my, I, I, yeah, it was it just wasn't as important. Um, but what I learned in the process and how I got there and um, being able to, all those things were so applicable to being successful. Um, that's what I found very quickly. Is that is that? Oh, I'm much more prepared to take on um, this type of lifestyle and be able to work hard, um, which was which was awesome. I I think you know. So when you go into an interview, right, and that's always a nerve wracking situation, or mm -hmm. even even applying for a job, I think can be something that feels like pretty stressful because you're putting yourself out there. You're submitting yourself up to see if you even get a call back. It's very much like applying for college in some respects, but I think. I would guess that when you were applying for jobs, you weren't thinking, I'm really good at Phrygian scales and music <laughs> theory. What were the things that you felt like you were really good at? What were the things that like when you went into the interview, you were going to be able to say, I can do X, Y, and Z. And how have those things developed over time as you've gotten more work experience? Yeah. Um, honestly, a lot of it's the preparation, um, knowing how to prepare for something, knowing how to prepare for basically a presentation because um, yeah. you're presenting yourself in these things. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had to present things or perform in college. Um, that, that was huge, huge. Yeah. For me. Um, and I, I learned those skills because I was a music major. Um, I think if you're a smart person that can really apply your life skills to whatever you're doing, I mean, I, I just think that you'll be able to take out what you need 
from something that you did every day for four years. Um, yeah, that's right. it, it, it'll come up a lot, you know? Um, and that's, that's really kind of how I went into it and what I realized very, very in the interviewing process. Do you have a, a role that allows you now to make to hiring decisions, to, oh, to yeah. add people to your team? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you looking for as someone that is, you know, you've got this really, um, diverse set of responsibilities that you're working on that touch on so many different fields. Um, what are you looking for when a resume comes across your desk or when you're in an interview talking about talking to a candidate? I mean, so again, I, you know, I'm in sales market. I have a lot of different things under my purview, but I, I, I can't, I can't tell you what anybody's major is that works for me that I've interviewed. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm in sales. I mean, I, and I don't look for that. I mean, great. If you went to business, if you have a business degree, but it's not something that I really look for. Um, I want to see the candidates work experience to see that they, they can collaborate, that they've been around colleagues. Um, that's something that's really important to me. Um, the work experience and where they've been and how they present and um, their versatility and explaining ideas and explaining solutions. That's so much more important to me than the degree. Um, I care that they have a degree. I think that that's a really good thing, but it's not, completely necessary for where I'm at. Um, I think that, yeah, like I, I come from a family where every person in my family has a graduate degree, except for me, um, my parents, my sister, all my first cousins, all of their parents, I'm the only person without a graduate degree. And I, um, for a long time, that was a huge hang up of mine. Um, but as I get older, I realize that I just, you know, those things are important, but not necessarily all the time. Um, yeah. And as I hire more and more people, I just realized like, yeah, you know, that's important for some things, you know, like you have to have that if you want to be a doctor or a therapist or whatever, but like, not all the time, you know. Did you, I mean, we're almost out of time, but I'm, I'm just sort of curious about, um, I mean, this might be the wrong word, but just like a sense of courage around your um, what your choices that you made or like a, mm-hmm. a sense of confidence or belief in yourself as you were making these decisions about what you're doing with your career decision, maybe not to do something decision to do something. Is that something that you feel like you have a lot of, or is it something that has had to grow over time? What's your sense of courage in this space? Yeah. Um, I think you have to, you know, when you're young and you're in your early twenties, you have to do the thing that you feel is best for you, which is really, really hard, especially in the face of society in general or what everybody else is saying that you need to do in college or what your parents are saying. Yeah. Luckily, my parents were always supportive of me. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you have to, it, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I think the best thing a parent can do and my parents did was to say, hey, you know what, figure it out. You figure yeah. it out, um, yeah. which was great, which was so helpful. Sweet. So parting advice from Blake is figure it out. Uh, (laughs) No, that was awesome. That was really great. I'm so glad we got a chance to have you here on the show today and get to meet you and just seeing different pathways people have to really exciting and interesting careers, I think can be tremendous experience for our listeners. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Uh, We are next week coming back to you with the second segment in our Financial Aid Awareness Month. We are going to be covering the newly announced changes to the SAT. They're going to be doing some online digital versions of their test. No more paper and pencil, which is 
really, really new. And uh, we're going to have our friends from Arbor Bridge on to unpack that. And we'll also talk about the impact of test optional policies for public universities. So a really rich show next week. Won't be as good as this one with Blake. Uh, he's really a one-time guest, but uh, you should tune in anyway, because it's going to be fantastic. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you here next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.